0: special offer to SkaBoom listeners. You can get 10% off your first month of professional therapy at betterhelp.com scaboom That's better H-E-L-P dot Thanks again to BetterHelp for sponsoring this episode.
1: The sun go slowly drifting by ¶¶¶ In the park the lazy bees ¶¶¶ Are joining in the flowers among the trees ¶¶¶ And the sun burns in the sky
0: ¶¶¶ Now the sun is in the way ¶¶ Where have all the protest songs gone? It's a question I think about often. The reasons behind the silence range from the generational to the cultural and economic. While current events in politics still drive creativity in the arts, some claim that changing social media habits have eroded music's political significance. Protest songs are no longer seen as an effective form of communication, says Malcolm Taylor, a British folk music expert. There's so much ammunition for them, and if you wrote one that happened to catch on, you could potentially reach millions, but today's discontents prefer Facebook and other social media. I suppose it is easier to tweet 140 characters these days than it is to write a song. That said, there's a rich tradition of folk protest music in both the US and UK, and though I've never been a fan of folk music per se, I've always appreciated the way that folk music has historically been used to raise issues of social justice.
1: Shrouded in a mushroom cloud of death Death comes in a blinding flash Of hellish heat and leaves a smear of ash And the sun has come to earth Now the sun has disappeared Of men go groping on their knees and cry in pain and the sun has
0: My form of folk music has always been two-tone and 70s reggae, which incorporated many of the same ideals that formed the basis for the best folk music, Mainly that subversive, powerful, and galvanizing ideas are best communicated through song. The British folk protest tradition is not one that you would normally associate with the UB 40, but there is a deep and direct connection that helps to put their earliest recordings into important context. Ian Campbell was a noted Scottish folk singer and songwriter. As leader of the Ian Campbell folk group, along with his sister Lorna, he was one of the most important figures of the British folk revival. During the 1960s and 1970s, a committed socialist and anti-nuclear organizer, Campbell's songs were full of tales of the working class and their everyday existence.
2: Whenever you see a train go by, you'll hear an engine whistle cry. Think of the man on the old footplate, shovelling coal, the driver's pay. A loco fireman is me grey Boiling water is me train The driver thinks he runs a show But if I'm up there the train won't go. Feeding coal to the hungry fire Sweating cobs to get steam higher But the collier's harvest that I burn With toil and sweat me wages are A loco fireman is me
0: group performed a mixture of british traditional folk music and new material and made many appearances on radio television and at national and international folk venues and festivals campbell also ran the largest folk club in britain the juggo punch in birmingham which played host to the cream of the crop of british folk acts the club hosted early performances by Joni mitchell and paul simon who was so taken with one of campbell's protest songs the terrifying anti-nuclear war song, The Sun is Burning, which is the intro music for this episode, that he and Art Garfunkel recorded a cover of it for their first album, Wednesday morning, 3 a.m. After a distinguished career, Campbell was honored at the BBC Radio Folk Awards in 2012, just a few months before his death. Here is what he had to say.
3: Now, I know that some of you have got a problem. He was this, this lovely introduction... And there's an item. Ian Campbell, singer, writer, activist, organiser, legend. And most of you are thinking, oh, yeah, he's a legend. Why the hell have I never heard of him? (laughs) I understand that. I understand that. I haven't had a good write-up like that now for about 15, 20 years. And the reason is very simple. I was an enormously influential force in the folk song revival in the 1960s. <laughs> you remember the... Se- no, you don't, know. <laughs> right, and it's true enough, we were enormously influential in the 60s, me and my group, and the 70s, but in 1980, we packed in. For a variety of reasons, deaths, Divorces, various things in the group, and we collapsed and folded. And here's a very strange thing. In 1980, I had made 19 LPs. That's an achievement, because you don't get to make a second one if your first one didn't sell, and and so on, right? So I'd made 19, and they'd sold very respectably in the folk scene, 50, 60, 70,000 copies we would sell of an album. Wow. And the folk scene, huge. Well, ha, I had four sons, and two of them had started this little reggae group. <laughs> and, yeah, and they got together, and they made, they recorded an album of reggae songs. Yeah, reggae. <laughs> yeah. And uh, then they issued it. Then it went out, <sighs> and it was quite popular. <laughs> and it got into the charts. Not the folk charts, by 60, 70,000, no. No, no, it got into the top 20. So then they took one track out of it and issued it as a single, and it got into the top 10. Well, the result was... 1980, Hubie Forty, on their first album, outsold my 19 albums. (laughs) (laughs) And possibly that's why you've never heard of me.
0: (laughs) That's right. Ian Campbell was a father to four sons, three of whom Robin... Ali and Duncan are or have been members of UB40. Hi, I'm Mark Wasserman. Welcome to Two-Tone Legacy, a special audio documentary series of the Ska Boom podcast that focuses on the stories behind 10 iconic songs that contribute to the enduring legacy of two-tone music and its ongoing impact on popular culture. So, what do John Lennon, the Sex Pistols, the anarcho-punk band Crass, and UB40 have in common? I'll give you a second. You give up? They were the only musicians ever under active surveillance by MI5, Britain's equivalent of the FBI. This was confirmed when a former MI5 employee and whistleblower named David Shaler claimed in 1997 that the intelligence agency spied on UB-40, spending years listening to the band's lyrics for evidence of their suspected subversive tendencies. But it went further than that. MI5 agents were said to have bugged the homes of Allie and Robin Campbell and taped phone conversations between band members, fearing they were closet communists. MI5 were concerned enough about UB-40 that they stationed an undercover squad in a building across the street from the band's offices and studio in Birmingham. Ian Campbell said he believed that his sons and UB-40 were targeted because of his links to the Coalition for Nuclear Disarmament and his support for the 1984 miners' strike. Robin Campbell was quoted as saying of the surveillance that it was because of my father's subversive leanings. He was a communist folk performer. And then we were managed for a while by my older brother Dave, who had anarchist connections. Robin Campbell also spoke about this MI5 surveillance during an interview in 2021 with Mojo, an online Indian entertainment website. Well, it's uh, it's it's not unusual. Uh, it's something that's any anyone who's considered subversive, uh, you know, anyone who sings anti-establishment songs and uh, or political songs, uh, you know, they seem to think that we're plotting a revolution or something rather
2: than just saying what we think. Um, and you know, in those days and probably still now, anyone who's uh, you know. Suspect is going to mm-hmm. be watched by the by these services. You know, uh, we found that out. That was, uh, I think, it was in the eighties that we found out that we'd been under surveillance. Um,
3: my father was politically active, and he found out that he was under surveillance too. A friend of his who worked in the telephone company, British mm-hmm. Telecom. Uh, he came to the house, he wouldn't ring him, he came to the house and said, I just want to tell you, your phone's being tapped, uh, you know, because you're a subversive. And that happened with us and, uh, you know, I certainly wasn't surprised. I was surprised to find out that not only were they tapping our phone, but they were also, they had an office across the road from our studio uh, in a factory and they had a the cameras set up and they were filming oh. with people that were coming to and from the studio.
0: The fact is that this is nothing new. Since the FBI first put jasmine such as Duke Ellington and Nat King Cole under surveillance as part of their program to suppress advances in civil rights or for supposedly advocating communist or anti-war groups, music has been a major battleground in governmental wars for ideological control. Many FBI targets have been Black, from the Jimi Hendrix experience, believing that drugs were planted by the authorities who busted them in Toronto in 1969, due to the fear of black cultural emancipation, to the widespread tracking of rebellious or politically motivated rappers, including Tupac, Biggie, Eazy-E, and the Wu-Tang Clan, who were deemed a major criminal organization in their FBI files. So what could have prompted MI5 to be concerned about UB-40? It's a worthy question. Younger music fans who associate the band with songs like Red Red Wine, Can't Help Falling in Love, and I Got You Babe, might struggle to reconcile the pop version of the band with the one that started their career writing and recording a series of political protest songs. While the two tone bands were reviving the 60s ska, UB40, like their compatriots in Steel Pulse, were writing genuinely British roots reggae. But while they continued the fiery political tradition, UB40 put aside Rastafari and the Bible and wrote for their secular British peers. It all started with their single Food for Thought, which was critical of the political response to famine in Kampuchea, or Cambodia. But it all culminated with what might be their best song, the anti-Margaret Thatcher opus Madame Medusa, which was banned by the BBC and that earned them the attention of MI5. Now, before I go any further, let's talk about Medusa. Unlike other figures of Greek mythology, most of us have heard of Medusa, even if we can't recall the details of her myth. A quick character sketch might well include snakes for hair, deadly eyes, and a taste for destruction. According to an article written by English professor Elizabeth Johnston in The Atlantic in 2016, it's more complicated than that. Johnston writes, "...bits of Medusa's story date back to at least Homer's Iliad, but it's with Ovid's metamorphosis that her story emerges more fully. A closer read of her tale may surprise those who only know her vaguely from popular culture." In Ovid’s story, the god Neptune sees Medusa, desires her, and decides that because he is a god, he is entitled to her body. He rapes her in Minerva’s temple, and Minerva, in sense that her temple has been defiled, punishes the victim rather than the perpetrator. Minerva transforms Medusa into a snake-haired monster who now, instead of inspiring men’s desire, literally petrifies them. Later Minerva gives her shield to Perseus to help him kill Medusa. He uses it as a mirror, deflecting Medusa's curse. He beheads her while she sleeps, and then carries her head in a bag, a trophy he pulls out as needed to destroy enemies. Among many young musicians in the late 70s, Margaret Thatcher quickly became a folk devil for the politically disenfranchised, and UB40 were no exception. And what's even more fascinating is that the lyrics for the song were written by the same man who wrote The Sun is Burning, Ian Campbell. Ian Campbell knew how to craft a song. He helped me with songwriting at first, Robin Campbell told Birmingham's Noise 11 in 2021. When we were first writing lyrics to Food for Thought, it was from an idea of his, and he helped me with those lyrics. He wrote the lyrics for Madame Medusa, which was on the 12-inch with the first album. He wrote the lyrics for that and gave them to me because he wanted us to have good lyrics. He was a great songwriter, and he'd been writing songs for a long time. In fact, Paul Simon recorded one of his songs later on in his career. Madame Medusa was a clever way to denounce Thatcher and another musical leap for the fledgling eight-piece group who used their repulsion at the Prime Minister and her policies as a jumping-off point for a magnificent dub-reggae excursion set to Campbell's lyrics. At nearly 13 minutes, the song opens with an organ bubble, percussion, a killer bassline, and in the words, From the land of shadows comes a dreadful sight, A lady with a marble smile, spirit of the night. Brian Travers answers every line with a heavily reverbed sax. The Campbell brothers employ their father's fury and bitter wordplay. Her tree of evil knowledge sprouts a special branch that must have made Peter Tosh proud. If you've never heard it, Madame Medusa is a protest song of the highest caliber that perfectly captures the impact Margaret Thatcher was having on Britain. It's as much a document of its time and place as Catch a Fire by Bob Marley and the Wailers was of early 1970s Kingston. Give the short four-minute single version of the song a listen but if you've never listened to the full 13-minute version you should.
2: Speculate his prance When our dreams are playing For that second chance Black are on the dance. Hey, hey. Hey.
0: williams author of you're wondering now the specials from conception to reunion and the lead singer for the scapones put the song into two-tone context
4: from the tombs of ignorance of hate greed and lies to the smoke of sacrifice watch her figure rise the sick the poor and the old basking in her radiance men of blood and gold i mean Gold, I mean, that's what those lyrics are. That's just part of the song, of course, um, of Madame Medusa by UB40. I think one of the greatest things about any song is that, um, especially stuff that's got a political comment and stuff, and and a lot of people tend to go for the the juggler, as we say, quite a few times, but I think a song written about somebody, as this was with Margaret Thatcher, um, is... Very, very clever, and that, I think they're great. all all songs like that are great. Those that can hide them, me- what this, what they're truly really trying to say, you know, quite a powerful, strong message hidden in lyrics that people sort of don't understand what they're really talking about, and and I think this is the difference. Um And UB40 were very good at that, very good at that. Um A lot of the two-tone bands were. I mean, we know that UB40 are a two-tone band as such, and they were well you know, informed about Tuttle and Chasing them, but uh, and but they wanted to be themselves and, and they stuck to the guns and I think it worked. I think the early UB40 stuff is obviously, and a lot of people agree with me, is the best stuff they ever did. Uh, very, 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 very clever. And, of course, it talks about the rise of Margaret Thatcher and her methods of destroying the country and destroying the people who are in the country. Um, and that, I, you know, and I think at UB40... Um, I mean, they are in that too. They do get slung in with the two-tone groups, don't they? You know, it's, it's sort of hard to... I doing like people like Dex's Midnight like, Runners, again, another a separate entity uh, and stuff, and they've all played together on various bills and stuff, but it's just that era, the bands from that era are all doing a sort of similar thing. Um, but Madame Medusa, it's very, very good, and uh, the album, of course, Signing Off is, is very, very good as well. It's it's the, probably, it's, dare I say, their best, maybe. Present Arms is good, but Signing Off, for me, I think, nicks it. But... Um, I love the track. And the the thing about the track as well is it could get played on radio. (laughs) You know, it could get played on radio, you know. I mean, I remember, I think it was The Beat, when they did Stand Out Margaret. It was banned for quite a lot, uh, on radio specifically as well.
0: The band's drummer Jim Brown has been quoted as saying that a tendency to make rebel music was hardwired with all the band members. Brown recalls a teacher handing him the Communist Manifesto when he was 15. According to Brown, we would sit around all day getting stoned, and talking about solving the world's problems. That carried over to the early days of the band as well. Like the two-tone bands, UB Forge's approach to social justice was married not to ska, but to dub reggae. Brown said in a Medium article from 2017 dub was a formative thing for me. Lee Perry, Prince Jammy, that was the music that you had on when you were smoking your spliffs. You listened to those amazing sounds achieved with really basic equipment on old King Tubby records and through sheer force of will, you would set about doing the same thing. What's also fascinating is that Madame Medusa and Stand Down Margaret by The Beat, also from Birmingham, were written, recorded, and released around the same time, yet had different trajectories and impacts. Ali Campbell told The Guardian last year, We did Madame Medusa about Thatcher and got it played on the radio because DJs didn't know what we were talking about. Whereas The Beat got banned for Stand Down Margaret and got lauded for it, we were trying to be a bit more clever than that. Every time we went on top of the Pops, we annoyed someone. We used to smoke weed in the dressing rooms. That upset them. We didn't care. We wanted to shout about politics, and we wanted to introduce people to reggae. It was our mission. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of The Legacy of Two-Tone. I want to thank my co-producer and engineer, Rob George, for making me sound good, and to Paul Williams for his contribution. My book, Skaboom, is available from DeWolf Publishing at DeWolf.com. That's D-I-W-U-L-F.com as well as on Amazon. Thanks for listening and take care.